I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as aliens, UFOs, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. You guys probably thought we were abducted by aliens. We've been gone so long. We were, Jesse. Oh, shit. I don't remember. (laughs) We weren't as far as I know, but this episode is about alien abductions. Yeah, it is. There's a reason I wear a shirt that says, ask me about my butthole. Jesus Christ. And uh, let's see if we can say this without Josh making a joke. Well, he already started, but (laughs) this is episode 69, and uh, we're finally recording it on March the 6th of 2022. You know what's funny about that is it doesn't make me want to make a sex joke. It just makes me think of Bill and Ted. 69 dudes (laughs) (laughs) anyways and uh it's crazy because we haven't recorded in almost three months and that was a bonus episode for scream and we haven't done a real episode since november for christmas and we're sorry life sucks not making excuses or making a list (laughs) um longtime fans of the show already know this is just how we operate damn it yeah but i want to get back to two a month and I'm going on vacation next week, so we'll see how this works. But current news, I am not going to try to do any horror news right now because it's been since November something since we did this, and I don't want to try to go through all of that information. The news is horrific enough right now, so just watch that. <laughs> Some scary news. But yeah, if, if something jumps out, Josh, you know, come on, help me out here. But uh, I, I didn't think it was worth going through four months worth of shit, so. No, we're just getting our sea legs back. We'll be all right. (laughs) Announcements. This one's either going to be really short or really long. (laughs) We haven't done this in a while. It's the truth, man. We're out of practice. Yeah, yeah. As far as updates and corrections, I know the joke is getting so old about me not remembering what the update list was for because it's been a month, but now it's been four months. Okay, so (laughs) bullet points. (laughs) Bear with me, Josh. Help me out if I can't figure it out. Okay. William Shatner's favorite Christmas song that he plays right at the beginning of the movie is Christmas Night by Suzanne Grazana. Okay. I'm guessing that we said we'd figure out the name of the song. Sure. (laughs) When Santa Claus says Krampus, vile enemy of Christmas, Josh said it was a very storybooky line. And while he was right, at that point in time in the movie, we didn't know that we were in a madman's delusion in his head. And he probably actually was pulling from fairy tales makes sense so it's a little deeper i have no clue why this is on here but i'm guessing we said something about krampus being a big motherfucker rob archer is his name he's six foot six and 285 that's a big motherfucker (laughs) it's a pretty big guy but uh maybe we were trying to compare him to like jason or something oh people were saying he should be the next jason that's probably where that came from that sounds familiar we said bailey downs was somewhere in america i think which I think it's a completely fictional town anyways, but it's in Ontario, Canada. Oh, okay. Not America. (laughs) Definitely not Ohio. (laughs) Yes. So A Christmas Horror Story and Ginger Snaps is in Canada. There you go. Yay. I forgot to mention that the credits said no elves were harmed during the making of this film, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Lots of animals, but no elves. (laughs) 
And I have a line that I wanted to say on episodes in the past, and it never really fit. And it's one of my favorite movie quotes. And I missed the perfect opportunity during Josh's film when they thought they had caught Santa Claus and it was one of his helpers. And I didn't quote Spaceballs and say, <laughs> you idiot, you captured their stunt doubles. And I filled us all thinking <laughs> to do that. So now, now you're not ever allowed to use it. <laughs> You can give up two phone booth jokes, then you can bring it back. <laughs> you just reminded me of something funny. When I was at Disney World on vacation, because I did go to Disney the last week of January going into February. That was part of us not being able to record. I started taking selfies with phone booths every time I saw one, and I was going to make a an album of them and post it on Instagram. <laughs> and I got like three or four in, and then I forgot to do it and missed several obvious phone booths. Sorry. <laughs> and we stayed in the 90s building at Pop Century while we were there, and our building was the Nokia building, so it had a 90s-era Nokia phone that was like three stories tall. And okay. I took a selfie with that, and I even put, do you like scary movies on there? Because we just watched Scream. <laughs> I didn't post that either. I'm sorry. I might actually find that one and post it, but I, I, I'm not doing the phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what we watched. Holy shit, it's been four months, and I know this is missing stuff. I'm going to go very quickly. All right. Spider-Man No Way Home. I might have mentioned it on the last one, but I don't think so, because I watched it right before Christmas with my son. It was awesome. It's not horror, but that was a badass movie, and uh, it had some, I don't want to spoil anything, but it had some cool shit that hadn't been done before in that. It was awesome. On Christmas Eve, while getting stuff ready and drinking my eggnog, I watched Fat Man with <laughs> Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins, and it's fucking fantastic. Look up the trailer if you haven't. It's awesome fucking action movie. Okay, I'm going to have to check this out. I mean, it's an old school, badass Mel Gibson action movie where he's fucking Santa Claus. Watch the trailer and you'll be hooked. I, I promise it was a good movie, though. Okay. Black Friday. Was not good. <laughs> it had Devin Sawa in it and Bruce Campbell, and it wasn't good. Nope. It could have been so awesome. Silent Night was some dark and deep, depressing shit. It came out this year for Christmas, or 21 for Christmas. Okay, sweet, because this was on my list, too. I'm glad you've seen it. I liked it a lot, and it was referenced as a dark comedy, and it was not a dark comedy, but it was definitely dark as fuck and very depressing at times, and oh, yeah. an original film, so check it out. Yes, definitely. Witcher season two, I liked it. I know some people shit on it because like, oh, it's just him going around and killing shit. That's cool with me. I liked it. <laughs> Josh and I like Cobra Kai and it came out on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. I watched the whole fucking thing in one sitting. Once again, still good. I got two or three left, I think. Okay. Okay. Dexter New Blood. Watched the whole thing. It had ups and downs. The ups were pretty good. The downs were meh. The ending was better than the original ending. I actually could do an hour episode on my problems with that show. And I've made that argument too many times with people in person. But if anybody <laughs> wants to talk to me about it, email me. It was okay, but they could have done better. I could do an hour episode on everything I hate about the ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was primarily it. Maybe we will do that for fun. Um, Mayor of Easttown. I haven't even heard it of that. It is more of like a drama cop show thing. Oh, okay. It's starring Evan Peters and Kate Winslet, and it's a pretty good like whodunit show. So okay. if you like whodunits, watch it. Bat shit, crazy show of the year, Yellow Jackets. <laughs> I'm fucking obsessed with that show. My conspiracy theories run deep on it. I liked it a lot. Have you seen it yet? Um, I watched it off and on with the wife. She watched the whole thing, and I caught probably two episodes throughout and then watch the last two episodes with her. It's fucking great. And 
God bless Christina Ritchie's crazy ass on that show. <laughs> she is scary. Everybody's scary on that fucking show. <laughs> yeah, right. The first part of the final season of Ozark, because they split it up for some reason, but luckily I think the second part actually comes out this month, so it was only like a three-week wait. And that's fun if you don't like it. I haven't seen any of it. I know of it. Oh, okay, okay. Unfortunately, I watched the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Oh, I'm glad you prefaced that that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say something right here. That movie had some of the fucking coolest kills I've seen in like modern slasher movies. Yeah, but movie they were all shit though. Yeah, they were fucking Jason Voorhees kills. That's the problem. They were yeah, not yeah. Leatherface kills. And he kills. jumped out of the water like Jaws. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, while we're all this, because this is on my list too. Anybody who hasn't seen that movie, watch the first half of it. Just go halfway through, <laughs> pause it, tell yourself how awesome the rest of it is, and just leave it there. <laughs> I don't know, man. They got to see the Tesla scene at the end. No, it's they super don't. Slow mo. <laughs> it had some cool kills. It had some cool ideas. I totally loved the group of people in the party bus and Leatherface steps in with the chainsaw and they're all like live streaming them on Facebook or Instagram or something. And they're like, you're so canceled, bro. And he's like, I'll fucking cancel your arms and legs off. And he just cranks that yeah. chainsaw up and just walks through that. That was great. It had its moments, but yeah. Yeah. The social commentary in there um, on a lot of stuff without it being you're wrong because you believe something differently than me, but just how it stripped that away from the different clicks of people in the movie and just gets it right down to raw. Do you want to fucking live or die? <laughs> All right. that was great. But yeah, that movie really did, did, did no. Right. Like the hipster shitting on the, the Texan redneck guy for a minute. And then he ends up like instantly becoming friends with the, with the other sister. Right. And yeah. stuff like that. Self, self-righteous fuckers taking that lady's house and shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it is worth watching once. I will tell you that I'm actually surprised that it came out that way with Fidi Alvarez being the producer and making the Evil Dead remake. I'm honestly shocked. I wonder if the studios fucking butchered it or something, but we'll never know. Yep. I finally watched Last Night in Soho and it was badass. That's what the wife said. I still haven't seen it. It's a slow burn, but I liked it a lot. Um, Scream, of course, we covered that on an entire bonus episode, which if you haven't checked it out, because I don't think it pops up automatically if you're sub, I hear it's pretty funny. I hear a lot of these have <laughs> been pretty good recently. We haven't put an episode out since November, and we've had like two and a half, three thousand downloads without putting out an episode. So hell yeah. Yeah. I watched Archive 81 on Netflix, also a slow burn. I really liked that as well, except for like the very, very ending. It wasn't terrible, but... Yeah, I watched it off and on with the wife again, managed to catch the last two episodes, knew what was going on. Um, like some of that at the end was like, OK, I, I can see we were being led here. That's all right. And then some of it at the end was kind of like, really? Like, like, did we did, <laughs> did we really have to just go to that generic of a well? Right, right. But it, it was pretty decent. And. You recommended this one to me, shit, over a year ago, but I watched the first episode of Resident Alien, uh -huh. and I think I'm going to try to watch that one. I liked it. Yeah, we just started watching season two, and the, the magic feels kind of gone, but the first season was fucking uh, hilarious. I know that was a pretty long list for me. There's a lot of TV shows in there, so it's a lot of hours <laughs> of TV. I'm sure I have missed some stuff, but that was most of my list. And Josh, I think I hit some of your list. You got anything left? Yeah, yeah. You hit like half of mine. I finally saw uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. and I haven't watched it yet. It, you know how picky I am, especially on rebooting old stuff. Right. And how bad everyone felt about the 
more modern Ghostbusters that just was bad for bad writing. Um, right. It was awesome. Okay. It looks like it was going to be awesome. It has the gentlest touch of what it needs to as far as the nostalgia factor goes without that being the driving force of the film. So fucking good. I was shocked. I was pissed off I didn't see it in theaters. I was that that pleased with it. Okay. Dexter, we already talked about. I may have brought this up in a previous episode, but Rick and Morty. Man, did I miss <laughs> did I miss out on on not finding fucking Rick and Morty sooner? That that shit's funny as hell. Silent Night, which we talked about. Night Hunter. Oh, it's got what's his nuts in it. He's the guy in uh, Freddy versus Jason who's institutionalized with the main character, Will. Not Will, but the other guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know who you're talking about right now. Stay tuned for the update section next episode. Yeah, yeah it's worth a watch. Okay. Shutter's uh, Behind the Monsters was pretty fun. I'm really behind on Shutter right now. I need to check it out. <laughs> if you're a horror fan, there's nothing really new for you in there, but it's cool to see stuff like that. Uh, we finished Midnight Mass. Okay. Fucking awesome, right? Well, two things. One, it could have been condensed down into like two and a half hours, in my opinion, <laughs> for better or worse. It could have, but I feel like it didn't go drawn out either. I don't know, man. They could have condensed it, but it was still like decent the length it was. The very, very end terrible in my opinion uh i i get that yeah all right uh, i got two more on here which we just watched yesterday actually uh dawn of the beast that's the shitty movie i told okay. you i needed to get back to when you called me last night all right all it, right it's bigfoot versus wendigo at a cabin in the woods which that sounds awesome it's not <laughs> okay and then blood glacier which I think it's on Shutter right now. Um, it's basically a it's a German movie, and it, it it's basically like a German version of the thing, but with its own twist. Okay. Um, it's 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 worth a watch. It's not like oh my god, you got to see this movie, and it has a very very fucked up ending. Okay. That's out of all the shit I've watched. That's what I remembered right now. Everybody's probably surprised that I didn't say the book of Boba Fett. I did watch that as well in there. <laughs> and uh, it was ran by Robert Rodriguez. Oh, and really? He directed three of the episodes, and his three episodes were the worst episodes. Oh, damn. They were so Robert Rodriguez <laughs> that it just doesn't work for Star Wars. <laughs> he had people doing the Spy Kids spin gunshots, like where they're like 180 and around to shoot over their shoulders and shit. And he had the Desperado like jumping off the roof backwards and shooting in between your shoes. And like he just threw in every stick he has that works great in his movies and did not fit in Star Wars. Okay. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It's just he had his very unique style on there. And we like Robert Rodriguez. We've covered him on here before, but some things don't fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm thinking about all the TV shows I watch. That's a, that's a lot of hours of TV. <laughs> but uh, I guess we should probably get on with the show. Like I said earlier, this one's Alien Abductions. We've talked about lots of different alien movies that we've wanted to do. They all jump into different categories with crossover a lot of the time. And we decided we'd start the year off with Alien Abduction movies and narrowed it down to two films. And we've always loved alien stories. Josh grew up in the sticks, and I would stay days at a time at his house when we would watch all those TV shows, I can't even think of the name of them right now. The one we used to watch all the time about the alien abductions and stuff. Sightings. Sightings. We would watch that and we'd just look outside at his yard and we're like, this is the kind of place where you get fucking abducted. <laughs> and you'd hear something at night and you'd wake up and it would scare you. And we used to think that shit as a kid. So we watched 
alien movies to scare ourselves even more as yep. children. And really, aliens pop up in everything. I mean, they're in fucking Marvel movies and Star Wars and even in horror some. But like straight up alien abduction movies don't happen as much as the other type of alien films. Nope. But growing up with that that fear of alien abduction films, it just it seemed like the right time to do it. It seemed like a natural fit. And the films we chose were The Fourth Kind and Fire in the Sky. It's like the, the, the two quintessential strictly abduction movies. <laughs> well, mine could be found footage also. True, true. And, spoiler alert, unreliable narrator. <laughs> nah? And a, a whole made-up genre of... We made up some shit and acted like it was real. Yeah. Allegedly true (laughs) docudrama style. But uh, yeah, let's dive into it. All right. So I'm going to start us off with the fourth kind, which came out in 2009. And this is one of them I saw in the theaters with my buddy David. I went in blind, thought it was a true story while I was watching it. Had the shit scared out of me which I can't say happens that often when I watch a movie. (laughs) Found footage movies do that, and it freaked me out on the way home, and and David and I talked about it, and then he went to his house, and I started looking up. I started with with Nome, Alaska, and missing persons, which is a real thing, right? And I'm like, oh, shit, this is real. And then I found out that it wasn't real, (laughs) and it kind of upset me. But they did a really good job with that, especially in the internet era. I guess I'll go through the director and cast. I kind of put the cart before the horse, and then I'll do a little behind-the-scenes information. Sorry, I'm about to butcher your name. The movie was directed by Olatunde Osunsanmi. It's pretty close. It tracks. He wrote and directed The Cavern, as well as being the writer, director, and executive producer of the show Falling Skies, which I liked a lot. Oh, okay. And he is the director executive producer, and I think showrunner of Star Trek Discovery, which is going on right now, I think. I'm not a big Star Trek fan, but I think it's currently going on. So, aliens. I'm going to say this so many times, I didn't even do the hand thing. I wasn't even trying to do it that time. But anyways, apparently, aliens is this guy's wheelhouse. Okay. As far as writers, the film was also written by him. He did the screenplay, and the story was by Terry Robbins, who has done this in the cavern. So apparently they work together a good bit. And as far as our cast goes, there is a lot of fucking people in this movie. I'm only going to list a few of them. It's starring Mila Jovovich as Dr. Abby Tyler and herself in the movie. I'll get to that in a minute if you hadn't seen this. And of course, she's famous from the Fifth Element, the Resident Evil franchise, Ultraviolet, the new Monster Hunter movie, as well as a bunch of other shit. Oh, yeah. She's good at what she does. What, being her husband's movies? Well, yeah, she does that a lot, too. But like this movie, not all the movies are her husband's movies, but I meant like she plays a certain kind of character well. Yes. I will say this is one of her better acting movies. As far as like actually getting to act instead of just fuck shit up? Yes. Yeah. She has some good dramatic scenes. The way she talks sometimes sounds like she's overacting, but she sounds like she's impersonating the other Abby. I can see that. So it's like a dude playing a dude dressed as another dude kind of thing <laughs> happening. You know what I mean? And I, I think she she's good in this. And she fucking tricks me in the opening scene, man. I thought it was real. I believed her. <laughs> All right. Will Patton, the fucking legend, is in this movie. 
as Sheriff August. And I'm going to say it right now. This is his best fucking movie I've ever seen. <laughs> he's fucking great in this movie. And he's recently the cop in the new Halloween movies, 2018 and kills. He was on swamp thing. He was the bad guy. He was in fallen skies. He's on that show Yellowstone. That is fucking huge that I've never seen that everybody tells me to watch. <laughs> uh, Armageddon. He was great in Armageddon gone in 60 seconds. Mothman prophecies. He's in so much shit, but he's great. I love him. And he's a badass in this. I loved him in Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one of his better movies, too. In this movie, man, he's taking nobody's shit. Uh, <laughs> we have Elias Codius. I think I said his name right. And he's Dr. Abel Campos. And he was Casey Jones in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies when we were kids. Oh, yeah. And The Prophecy. He was in that. Skinwalkers. He was in Let Me In. The Haunting in Connecticut. So much more. That was just the genre flicks right there. And he's currently in like all of the Chicago series, you know, like Chicago, this Chicago, that or whatever. Oh, okay. But he's, he stays working for the most part and uncredited Charlotte Milchard as the real Abby. My hands are going to develop carpal tunnel from the amount of times you're going to see me say real <laughs> Josh, but uh, I'm doing the air quotes. She's not in much else, but they didn't credit her. They credited her by putting her name in the credits and said like random townie or something like that, but it did not oh, say okay. that it was her playing the real Abby because <laughs> that would destroy the illusion that I'm about to talk about. All right, a few little facts and then I'll dive into the movie. The fourth kind is a reference to one of the types of UFO encounters from J. Allen Hynek's list. The first is a sighting. The second is an alleged physical like effect happening to you or something around you. The third is seeing an alien. The fourth is an abduction. And the fifth kind is established direct communication between humans and aliens. Hell yeah. And if you guys hear background noise, I'm recording at home in my home office right now. It's not aliens. It is my adorable daughters excited about the little puppy we just got. So <laughs> sorry for the background noise. This film is presented as being a true story. The film cuts between the actors and the real, if I say it that way, assume there's air quotes, footage, including the merging of audio clips, which is really fucking disturbing, going in from different characters. Yeah. Like you see one of them, hear the other one's voice, and the voices come together and stuff. It's really disturbing when I do that, and it's the freakiest part of the movie, honestly, is the found footage. However, this is not based off of a true story, and it does not even mention that in the film. Like, it says at the very beginning, she's like, I'm Mila Jovovich, and I'm playing Dr. Abigail, and blah, 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 everything I'm giving you is true. Like, they <laughs> say that. Never anywhere they say it wasn't true. They lied to us, man. I know, I know. Even though we could find the truth in the internet era, they still had to come on CNN and say this shit isn't real because so many people were freaked out and believed it because there is so many people that go missing in Nome, Alaska. Okay. And like I said, I, I had to go home and research it after I watched it because I was like, fuck, this is real, man. Because <laughs> the found footage is freaky in this movie. Yeah, I had this. I <clears throat> acquired this movie off of my neighbor's internet when I was living in granny's house and I didn't read anything about it. And I thought it was real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it's, it's a good movie. Some people, that's the thing about this movie. People either really like it or say it's the worst fucking movie they've ever seen in their life. <laughs> there is no in between, <laughs> but 
like I said, Nome, Alaska really does have a missing persons problem. At least it did up till 2009. I haven't researched past that. And it is the wilderness after all. Like anything could happen in there. Yeah. The families of the actual missing people, and I don't mean the actual people as in the actual footage in the movie. I mean the real life citizens of Nome, Alaska were pissed about this movie because they find the film insensitive since it portrays alien abductions and says it's using real interviews of missing people, and it's not, right? It's using actors twice. And there are at least 24 missing people since 1988 from this small town alone. Okay. I can see people getting pissed off about the missing locals. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's in my notes, but Nome, Alaska should look like 30 days of night. Yeah. Pretty much. And it doesn't. It just looks like you're in Oregon. That's what I was going to say. It looks like fucking Oregon. <laughs> it's twilight. They got fog and everything. You're just missing sparkly vampires. Man, if I had enough internet, maybe I would have seen the sparkles. Maybe they're there, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> this script was on the 2008 blacklist and was regarded as one of the most liked unmade scripts. And I don't remember if I've talked about the blacklist before. I think I have on the show, but you can send screenplays there and you pay a fee to have them on there. And I think anybody can read them, but there's like certified readers that read them and they rank and score them and you get the score and they have notes and you can go back and tweak it and keep doing it. And if you get an eight or higher, you have a high chance of it being seen by Hollywood people. Like that's the only way you can get a screenplay without having like an agent get you in touch with somebody, blah, blah, blah. You can't just meet anybody off the street or just mail them in anymore. You just do that and people will rank them. And this was one of the most like scripts that wasn't made. So they contacted the guy and he got to make a fucking movie, right? No shit. So it's pretty neat how that works. Um, And I wanted to do this one for a while, but like I said earlier, I didn't know if I wanted to do aliens, alien abductions, found footage. There's so many places I could stick it, you know? (laughs) But with that being said, let's dive into the movie and see uh, how long I drag this out or how short I make it. It's kind of up in the air right now. Here we go. We open up with a blurred image of the woods and bright light coming in from the trees. It actually looks really cool. And a woman walking up out of focus. And the whole thing's very eerie and surreal. And the woman walks up and it's Mila Jovovich. And there's this cool parallax thing going on. Right. Like she's standing on a platform that's spinning or something around the woods and it's all trippy. And she says that she's playing Dr. Abigail Tyler and that this film is a dramatization of the real events that occurred in Nome, Alaska from October 1st to October 9th of the year 2000. She says that in order to explain the events of the story, the director has chosen to include actual footage from Dr. Tyler's archives And to protect the privacy of all people involved, the names and professions were changed, which made this hard to Google when you're trying to see (laughs) if it's real, right? Because you didn't have the real names or anything. And she says that all of the scenes are backed up by actual archive footage via audio, video, or interviews between Dr. Tyler. And it's supposed to be like a professor at this university, but it's actually the director and writer of the film. (laughs) She says that in the end, what you believe is yours to decide. Please be advised that some of what you're about to see is extremely disturbing. But we start out seeing an interview at Chapman University, which may or may not be a real university. I don't fucking know. I didn't look. (laughs) Wait for the updates on the next episode. And we cut to our actual director interviewing 
the actress Charlotte Milchard as the real Dr. Abigail Tyler. <laughs> and this is all portrayed as though it's real, right? Like she's like really sick looking and emaciated and terrified and randomly crying. And the director either can't act for shit or does a good job of acting like he's taking notes, interviewing somebody he thinks is crazy, <laughs> right? Cause he like just doesn't care what she's saying. She says that she wants to begin with what happened to her husband, Will. She went to a friend that was a doctor by the name of Omitted. And <laughs> we are then provided with the actual audio of her speaking with her friend, who is a psychologist as well. And it cuts in on Mila and Elias in a really cool way. And like I said, this is one of the coolest things about this movie. We like see the camera come in and we can hear the real Abby's voice, but we see the actors and then the camera spins around. And as it gets more her face, we hear their voices together until it turns into just her. Yeah. All badass. We find out that her daughter is temporarily blind from a psychological disorder that occurred when her husband died. And Abel, her friend, the psychologist, it's not the real, that's not real psychologist's name, that's what he is in the film, wants to help her get some closure to put her mind at ease and maybe it'll help her daughter Ashley with her condition. I also don't know if you can go blind from like getting traumatized. I'll look that up later too. <laughs> he turns on the camera and we get a side-by-side -side shot of the actual footage <laughs> and the filmed footage. And the two are intercut throughout, even with overlaid audio and sync and whatnot. And he hypnotizes her to help her remember that night so that she can maybe remember the face of who killed her husband and clear things up. We have no clue what she's talking about at this point. Cause they're kind of talking and riddles, like they're talking about different things. Yeah. But they don't like address the elephant in the room. They just kind of go at it. <laughs> we find out that her husband died on August 2nd of the same year. And she remembers that they were having sex that night. And then they went to sleep and an intruder broke into her home and killed her husband by stabbing him while they were asleep. And we get a really cool montage going on between her dream, her in the room, the actual footage and the audio. And... Abel tries to make her see the face and she goes into a panic state and he snaps her out of hypnosis and recommends that she take some time off to find clarity with what happened. And we get that her collection of events might not be what most would consider accurate. <laughs> you killed your husband, ma'am. <laughs> and I don't remember if that's the shot where we see him get stabbed, but it's fucking creepy when it happens because the dream's kind of like, yeah, what's going on? It's a dream state and then a fucking knife stab and then horrific screaming. It's crazy. But she says that she needs to finish her husband Will's work and she's in Anchorage, Alaska and we see her flying a plane into not Nome, Alaska. It says it's Nome, Alaska, but there's no snow. And <laughs> it's Oregon. We already established this. <laughs> yes. Yes. We can hear part of the actual interview with the director and real Abby as she's flying and real Abby and the director are talking about how they dove back into school and work so fast in their life. Right? Like they didn't really take a break. We see her interviewing the first patient as she's taking over for her husband and his name is Scott. And she asks how he's been sleeping. And he says that he's been waking up in the middle of the night at about two 30 or three the witching hour, as we call it, right? Yeah. And we see her reaction, and she doesn't seem shocked at all. The camera pans back to a different patient from her face, who has also seen the same owl that the other guy talked about during the witching hour. Even the first time seeing this movie, 
and I don't, because I've only seen this movie like three times. Um, it's been a hot minute since I watched it for this episode, but I immediately associated the the owls don't they have big eyes, but as far as what it looks like around an owl's eyes, that like that's the brain trying to go. You didn't see big eyed aliens; you saw an owl. <laughs> I did do some research, and apparently, owls are always mentioned. Not always, but often mentioned with alien abductions and stuff like that. Yeah, so I, I seriously think it's the brain trying to rationalize what it saw. and was like, oh, it must have been an owl, like in Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made this joke to you last night. I, I mentioned earlier that I got a new puppy. I drove like five and a half hours deep into the boonies of Kentucky to get this dog. It was a perfect <laughs> dog that I was looking for. And I'm in this old service road, like miles away from civilization. Had multiple deer dive out in front of my car. Always scary as shit. And then I almost hit a giant fucking owl. <laughs> like it swooped down in front of my windshield. So I didn't know if I was about to get taken to the goblin labyrinth or if I was just abducted by aliens. <laughs> or Hogwarts. <laughs> or or we're going to Hogwarts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, we cut to a patient named Tommy saying that the owl stared at him for hours. And we go between Tommy, Scott, and there's a woman, I, I don't remember her name, that's also being interviewed. And they are talking about how they couldn't shoot the owl away. And they might even think it came in the house. And the woman <laughs> says that it felt like a dream. But we can see that all three of them are saying the same exact shit. And the way they jump in between everybody with the camera spinning is really neat. Yeah, There's a lot of cool camera work and audio work in this movie. And we find out it's happened to all of them every night for the past week. Abby tells her patients that she's heard a lot of similar things from other patients and she needs some time to investigate. She'll get back with them. We see that she's very close to her daughter, Ashley, who gets picked on at school regularly for faking being blind. The kids say, cause she wasn't blind before and now she is. And they're all assholes. Cause that's how kids are in school. <laughs> and the real Abby says that she just wanted to help her daughter. We hear that in a um, narration. We see her home life with her eating dinner with her daughter, Ashley, and her son, Ronnie. And we can see that her son has had enough of her shit, and he brings up how his dad died and asks her if she accepts it yet. So we're still talking in riddles here. And she tells him to shut up, and he wants to know how she can help people. She can't even help herself. It's a good question. It's a wise kid. That, that kid lays it on too thick, though. The actor, like, I'm just like, <laughs> no, get him off set. I get it. I get that he's trying to be that character. But, like, if he, like, walked outside and got hit by a bus, I'd be like, okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> the character, not the real kid. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I got what you're saying. But it, it kind of abruptly cuts from here to randomly seeing an owl fly by. So the Goblin King must be near. <laughs> We see that it's late at night and Abby's going through some of Will's notes and finds a reference to a doctor in his book as well as a voice recorder. It's a recording of Will saying that he has spoke to over 300 victims that all seem to wake up at 3 a.m. and talk about an owl and they're all on edge like something's coming for him, right? We cut back to her and Tommy having another session, I guess you would say, and she's hypnotizing him. And once he goes under, he explains that he is still having trouble sleeping and he just saw the owl the night before. We cut between the actual footage and the filmed footage as well as some side-by-side -side shots. It is this cool comic panel thing I've seen some people make fun of. I think it worked for this movie, especially but since it like moves and changes shape. I'm okay. I'm okay with the side by side, but when it's just the two static shots with the one bar in the middle, like slowly drifting back and forth, it's fucking distracting. 
It is, but I thought it was kind of neat. I hadn't really seen that before. True. Other than like a Sin City movie or something, right? Yeah. But once again, everything's blended together. Audio, video. Like I said, it's a really fucking neat trick, and I'm glad they stuck with it the whole time. But Tommy looks up in a panic and says that there's something outside his door, and it's going to open it. He then goes into further panic and says, it opened, and starts screaming, oh, my God. (laughs) We then cut to the real Tommy yelling, oh, my God, over and over again, and go back and forth between the two of them panicking until both Tommies are snapped out of it at the same time. Tommy's acting like he does not remember anything that he just said, but we can see that something's up and he's fucking lying. Like he's bothered. And he just wants to get the fuck out of the room and go home. And she asks if he saw the owl and he seems even more bothered by her saying that and says he wants to talk about this the next time he sees her. (laughs) We then cut to the actual 911 audio. And the actual dash cam footage, because they even added dash cam footage in this movie, of a woman calling in a panic from a house, and we seamlessly cut to Will Patton driving up as the sheriff, right? Yep. And we see that it's Tommy's house, and he has a gun, and he's taken his entire family hostage, his wife and his daughters, I think it is. He's got a few children, and he wants to talk to Abby. Abby. Abby's not here right now, but I can help you. That line was so Will Patton, the way he said it, right? (laughs) But apparently Tommy doesn't like this answer and just starts shooting at the window and says he wants her now. So they call her and they get her to come down. And we know for certain the whole family's hostage now because he tells Abby that. The sheriff sends her to the porch in a flak jacket with a phone to try and talk him down. And we cut between the actual footage, the actual Abby retelling the events, and the film scene. And she tries to talk him down and fails. With an overlaid voice, he says that she does not understand because she did not see what she made him see. And like I said, it's comic style footage this is the one where it's moving i think and you didn't like it but it's because they're trying to show so many things at the same time yeah and i think it makes the whole scene more hectic like i think that's what it was supposed to do like you said distracting i think it was supposed to bother you well see that's the thing i can get it causing more tension but i'm so analytical and like why that like as soon as i saw it moving i'm just staring <laughs> at that and i'm like why <laughs> who decided this <laughs> it's kind of neat to pay attention like the way it slides matches with how the audio is shifting with yes. like the j cuts and the l cuts and stuff yes but she continues to try to talk him down as August or Sheriff August is trying to get his snipers to take the shot. And then Tommy starts saying a lot of words in, in non-English, we'll call it for now, over and over again. And then he kills his entire family and himself. And it's fucked up and really dark. And the real footage looks like real footage. Welcome to Amityville Horror 7. <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> We then got to like an interrogation room and we hear the real sheriff interviewing the real Abby as we cut to Mila and Will. And he wants to know what the fuck is up. And when she explains, it doesn't help her case. He wants to know (laughs) if her hypnosis caused this shit, right? She's been planting seeds. Because to him, she hypnotized him, made him see some crazy shit, and then he killed everybody, right? It's her fault. He's pissed, and she's super defensive. And she says something like, I find this line of questioning offensive. And he, he says what's offensive is that a man murdered his family and committed suicide after talking to her. And he wants to know why he wasn't fucking notified after the, the session they had, right? Yeah. 
She tries to leave and gets pissed, and he wants to know what's going on, and she tells him that he should solve her husband's murder, and he says she knows what happened that night. And she then goes on about Gnome having more murdered and missing people than anywhere else in Alaska, and he makes her shut the fuck down. <laughs> and he says that her and Will's hypnosis is causing problems around town, and she's going to have to stop. You're not going to use the people of Gnome for a goddamn rap study. <laughs> she is the blight of the town. <laughs> yeah. We cut to her taking notes and actual Abby's interview, and she wants to know if under hypnosis, would the other patients see what Tommy saw? And she wants to proceed, but with extreme caution, of course. Whatever the fuck that means. She's picking at fucking peel and paint, man. The shit never works out. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I apologize for the children. I might have to go back to recording at Josh's house. Hey, on a, on a side note with that, so listeners, I got an email saying that my Starlink order has processed. <laughs> Why wasn't that under news and announcements? <laughs> so if we do remote record, I'll at least have decent internet and you won't have to hear me bitch about it. But define irony for me. The day after I get that email, we get a letter in the mail that the closest town's internet service provider is surveying the area for direct to the home fiber and wants to know if we'd be interested. <laughs> That's my fucking luck. Anyways. <laughs> That is exciting, but now i got to figure out where in the fuck I was in this movie. Here we go. We can see that Abel flew down from Anchorage to check in on her at her office after the murder-suicide, and he's trying to talk her into taking a sabbatical, and she says that she can't and that this town, the interviews, Tommy's murder-suicide, all has to be more than a coincidence. We see that Scott's waiting in her office with his wife, and he wants to know what happened with Tommy, and his wife mentions that it's the second suicide in three months. And when she says this, Mila jolts really bad, right? <laughs> they say that they want Scott to go under hypnosis as well, and she gets permission from Abel since he offered to help, right? Like, will you help me do all this? Yep. And this goes mostly the same way, cutting between the film and the actual footage and the goddamn owl. And under hypnosis, Scott realizes that there is no owl. And when asked what it is, he reacts the same way as Tommy. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't. He screams and starts to have a seizure. Yeah. Shit's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> she snaps him out of it and he pukes in the garbage can and says that this was unbelievable and makes zero sense. He says he saw them and they're not from around here. And I don't think he means they're mainlanders. Okay. Oh, shit. He says when he tries to remember all he can see is an owl, but he knows they were other beings and they talked to him telepathically and smelled like putrid cinnamon. I don't know what that means. I know, man. I, that is such an interesting choice. Cause like, I'm tempted to like try to mix some cinnamon with something and let it rot. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just to try to see where somebody came up with this. Like, how, how do you run into something where you're like, oh, that's putrefied <laughs> cinnamon right there? <laughs> I know. I ran it back, and I'm like, no, that really sounded like said putrid cinnamon. That can't be right. So then I turned closed captions on, and I was like, oh no, that's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> anyway, she lets him know that she has to notify the sheriff. What <laughs> just happened. And Scott says he knows why Tommy did what he did and that you could not imagine what they did to him. Right. And his wife takes him home and I hope she tranks him when he gets there. Cause we don't want a repeat of the night before. <laughs> 
Abby asks Abel if he believes in alien abduction theories, and he obviously does not believe in it, and she says that Will did and had been doing research, and that there are over 11 million people with alien experiences, and he tries to talk reason into her. Right as the secretary pops in with Abby's voice recorder asking if she listened to the tape <laughs> that she gave her to transcribe before giving it to her. And she says, no. She looks a little shook up when she's asking her had she listened to said tape. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she plays the tape for Abby and we hear the normal interview up until a certain point. Then we hear her randomly go to sleep for no reason, and the door opens, something walks in, and then she is screaming horrifically, and we then hear a demonic or alien voice saying the same thing Tommy was saying before he shot himself. Yep. Abel has a what-the-fuck look on his face as this ends, and Abby is very confused. <laughs> she says that there's no way that that happened, and that's not her on the recording. We then got to the director and the real Abby and her explaining how she was in denial at the time. And he wants to know what happened next. And she said she had to go through the facts. We hear actual Abby talking, but we see Mila sitting on the bed playing the tape and trying to piece everything together. She realizes that her daughter did not come into the room. I say this because her daughter walked in the room when she was recording at the same spot where the tape stops and she goes to sleep. Yeah. So her daughter didn't actually come in there. That's what she thinks happened. She also finds a weird mark on her shoulder and then fingernail scratches on the wood floor like somebody got dragged out of the room. And we see this cut together with alien light swooping through the woods and through the house at night while the house is empty before showing her. It's kind of neat how they did it all. Yeah, I love those shots. Yeah. She doesn't know what language the voice is in or what it is, or anything. So she calls the doctor from Will's book to let him know what's going on. And she can't pronounce his name properly when she calls him, so I'm not going to try to either. <laughs> and we find out that Will called to get a history lesson on ancient languages, and that's what this guy specializes in. We then get a weird montage of, like, the Lion King son in the jungle and the woods and in hell, <laughs> and then poof, the doctor's now in Nome, Alaska, and he says that the language is ancient Sumerian and that the whole lexicon is not known for that language, and he basically can get our creation, examine, ruin, and destroy out of the words being said, okay? <laughs> Sounds bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sounds real bad. Abel's calling bullshit on all this. And the doc says that the voices do not sound ordinary and it is speaking the oldest known language in history in her bedroom. And Abel still calls bullshit. <laughs> but I think his point was she can't just randomly know ancient Sumerian words. Yes. The doc tells him that he has studied Sumerian history for most of his life and that Abel can go into any Sumerian museum and see old stone art with rocket ships, spacesuits, aliens, etc. And I believe that is all true. That is all true. Even though I made the joke about Chariots of the Gods, you can go into the whole thing about the, oh, I can't remember the guy's name, um, but you had another guy that said that a lot of Sumerian texts were mistranslated and released all this other shit about how the, the Anunnaki were the aliens that came here and enslaved the human race so we could mine gold because they needed it for the atmosphere of their planet. And that when they come back on the the Nibiru, the Nibiru, whatever, the 10th planet, like there's this whole thing about like if you just read Sumerian texts, like it explains everything about aliens and that aliens really are God. Like it's a real fun conspiracy <laughs> wormhole. Um, but that's what they're pulling from here. And uh, it 
it, it, it's neat that they went that route with it without mentioning Zachariah Sitchin. That's who I was trying to remember. Um, so they don't mention people by name and stuff like that. They're just like, it's Sumerian and like nerds and conspiracy theories. Like, I know what they're talking about. And I'm one of those people. So I was like, yeah, yeah, they're right. They're wrong about 2012 <laughs> and the Mayans, but they're right about this. <laughs> but anyways, Sumerian or not, Abel's still calling bullshit on everything. And he wants to know if she honestly believes she was abducted by aliens. They then get a call from Scott's wife and they're told to come the fuck over right now. So at least it wasn't a 911 call this time. True. Our now trio shows up to see what's going on. And Scott's in his bed scared and in like sweats, right? And he looks freaky as hell, like he's about to die and turn into a zombie or something. And he says he wishes she had not made him see it. And she finds an odd mark on his arm that he's picking at that looks just like the one she had on her shoulder. And they set the camera up for science and he doesn't want to go under again. He's very clear about that. Against common sense, they hypnotize him again. (laughs) (laughs) This does not seem to do anything as he just lays there sleeping This, of course, cuts between the film and the real footage. And we see Mila say, Scott, and then cut to the real footage and see him jump up screaming. And then he starts to levitate in his bed. This is the point I wish I had my brown pants on because I was watching the movie with headphones on, taking notes. And this part of the movie gets really, really quiet. So I cranked the volume up. Oh, no, no, no. I hadn't seen it. And I forgot about the jump scare that was coming. And when the fucking loud scream, everything happens. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm fucking dying. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. It was a little extra jump scare for me. But I guess I should also add that the footage gets messed up during this part. And he starts speaking in Sumerian, but we can't see what's going on before collapsing on the bed. We then cut to Mila. At her house, packing her and her kids shit up, saying that she needs a break and they're moving to North Carolina because she's wanting to go on the lamb, right? <laughs> Abel calls and she won't talk to him. Ronnie's on the phone, right? And he's like, Abel called again. He wants to talk to you. And she's like, later, Abel. And he goes, he's on his way. <laughs> and, up. and she tries to send the kids off into their rooms so that she can keep packing. But her son catches the fuzz rolling up in the driveway. Mom. What did you do? Sheriff August comes in pissed and wants to know what happened to Scott and that he's paralyzed from the waist down and severed three vertebrae in his back. He asks for an explanation now and she delivers a very thorough one. And there was something, something was inside of him that, that twisted his body and, and, and that's, something, that must, that's something what did it. Something was inside of him and it twisted his body. He wants to see proof. But the tape's messed up, and he says he wants to believe her, but this one's gone far enough. He lets her know that he feels for her and everything that she's been through, but she now has the fucking right to remain silent. (laughs) Abel comes running in the room and tries to defuse the situation and says that he saw it too and that he can't explain what it was and that August is just going to need to take his word on it. What did you see? Well, it's it's kind of thing that... um well, you have to have seen it. Oh, bullshit. Yeah, he doesn't go like full on, but he's at least trying. She's now under house arrest and he's not going to take her in and take her kids away, but he's going to figure out what's going on first. And she's not allowed to leave or hypnotize anyone. And the aliens are like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he takes Abel and the doctor with him to like uh, try to get some more information without her around. Right. 
Yeah. We see the doctor and Abel getting interviewed while we cut to the director and real Abby doing a voiceover again about the missing people in Nome and how the FBI sometimes has to come up to investigate because so many people are missing and they find no one. She then breaks down the different kinds of alien encounters, which I covered earlier. So we're not really hearing the interview. We're hearing, well, we're hearing their interview. We're not hearing the police interrogation that we're seeing. Yes. She says that she thinks Will, the missing people, the nightmares, and the owl are all connected and that it's aliens. <laughs> I told you I was going to do it in here somewhere. That was the planned one. She says that this happens all over and that no one ever remembers anything because they're forced to forget. At this point, we're jumping to the third act. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> because we can see one of the cops outside of Abby's house notice a real bright light <laughs> come in from behind the house or in front of the house. It comes down on the house. And luckily, the dash cam was actual to provide some real footage of this for us. And he steps in front of the car and... We see a UFO really quickly flying a shot. If you have to pay attention for it, you blink and you miss it. It comes yep. in from the top right hand corner and then the footage fucks up. But we can hear the cop trying to explain what he's seeing and he's begging for backup. August shows up and hears Abby wailing and wants to know what in the hell happened. Ronnie says that someone took his sister, somebody kidnapped her, and Abby explains that a beam of light came through the ceiling and took her and Will Patton does not give a fuck. He kicks <laughs> everyone out of the room except for Abby and Ronnie and he lets her know that this looks bad and that the officer outside saw something weird but his tape messed up and she keeps leaning on aliens and he gets even more pissed and he chunks a chair into the mirror and he says that she has been messed up ever since Will and she needs to get her shit together and then he's taking Ronnie for his own safety and he tells her that she needs to get a lawyer because she's ran out of all the goodwill that he has. And Abby tries to stop him from taking Ronnie. And Ronnie's like, Mom, let me go. I got to go. Because he thinks she's crazy and he wants to get out of there. <laughs> He's a little shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll give a fuck about his sister. He's pissed and he thinks his mom did something with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What it is. He's still a little shit. I just don't like the kid. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not a teenager either. He's like, uh, I don't know. He's fucking... I think, well, that's the thing. Like, like he seems like he might be like 12, but he's acting like his dialogue and everything in the movie seems like if he was like 16 or 17, it'd make a whole lot more sense. He just been through some shit though. He might've grown up, <laughs> had to grow up pretty quick because his mom was crazy. <laughs> but we get a composite of real Abby and Mila as... Real Abby explains that she has to go directly to the source to find Ashley, whatever the fuck that means. And we then get a dramatic montage of Mila going through Ashley's room and going through Will's desk. And then we see her have like a visual epiphany, like she's figured it out. And we cut to Abel sitting with her, begging her not to go under hypnosis and that he can't do this to her. Like, don't make me do this, right? And he can't explain what he saw. But this shit's just crazy. And the Sumerian expert tries to play the middle ground and ask if there's a better choice, right? Like, this might be the best option we have. <laughs> and here we go into hypnotherapy again. First, Abel asks about the night that she was doing her dictation. We get a split screen with real Abby on the left and Abel on the right. And we then get a side-by-side -side of the Abbeys not wanting to talk. And then she says, it's not an owl. 
<laughs> we then get the blurry flashback of her abduction in her room as we cut between the abbeys. Of course, the tape messes up and she's screaming for her baby while the alien babbles out some crazy shit about destruction and not returning the child. And there are blanks in the sentences because it tries to pop up the text to yeah. translate the Sumerian force. And it puts the blanks in there that we don't understand. But what we get is that the truth remains and that he's the savior and the father. And this is all coming out of Abby's mouth. And it's like bleeding through the fuzz, right? Like we can see like the adult channels when we were kids and you put it on there and it was like scrambled. Like you can see Abby's <laughs> face popping in. So the words are like, like nipples. Like, <laughs> kind of, kind of. And her mouth's open really wide, like a dishinged jaw. Yeah, like right? something's talking through her. And the tape fixes itself temporarily just so we can see how limp her, her jaw is. And she just kind of falls over and the tape messes up again. And more alien talk and screaming. And then the footage corrects itself as the camera falls over and the room's empty. And I'm talking about like the actors the, the footage <laughs> film the film there you go. that camera falls over because we we heard abel and the sumerian experts screaming and, and abby screaming right yeah it was some serious shit tense moment and i probably said that really fucking confusing but it's there's a lot going on <laughs> we cut to the director and real abby and he wants to know what happened in that room and abby says that they came for them and all three of them were abducted she tries to explain the alien's appearance and he says that the alien voice and her voice said that it was God and what does she think and she says that it's very powerful and beyond anything understandable it was hopelessness so that it can't be God but it can pretend to be God we notice at this point that her emaciated body has been sitting in a wheelchair the whole time yep because we're getting more than like a head and shoulder shot and I want to reference this quote really quick hopelessness is the key word in there. I think that's like this movie's about hopelessness and not being able to do anything. Yeah, definitely. Which involves the, the real life coping of events as well as like, what the fuck do you do in an alien abduction? Right? Like, it's, <laughs> but I think that's the theme of the movie. Anyways, he wants to know about Ashley and she says it took her a while to recover in the hospital. And we cut to Mila in a neck brace, waking up from a coma with August and Abel in the room. And Abel says that he has one more question for her and he hates to ask her in this condition, but how did Will die? And she says that he was murdered and August says, no, Abel explains that August needs to show her something and that it's going to be rougher to see, but she needs to see it. It's a crime scene photo showing that Will committed suicide by gunshot to the head. She goes into denial at this point. If we could not already consider her an unreliable narrator, we definitely can now. <laughs> she blames herself since she's a psychologist and didn't notice that this was going on with Will, right? And then you need help. And Abel tries to tell her that no one could have known. And... August asks one last time, what happened to Ashley? She looks at Abel and says for him to tell August what happened when they're abducted. And he nopes the fuck out. <laughs> she lets August know that something took her daughter and she does not know what it was or how it did it. And he has to believe her. August says that it must be difficult to go back over the line from fiction and reality and that she can't just stop being insane because she wants to. <laughs> it's going to be with her forever, right? Yep. 
We cut back to the director in Real Abby as she explains that it's hard to believe her about her daughter when she had these delusions about Will. Yeah. She says that she dealt with her husband poorly, but the recordings do not lie. She continues a voiceover as we have the real footage of every messed up scene in the movie. She then says that she has got to believe that she can get her daughter back as we see real pictures of Ashley growing up and the interview ends here. And for the final scene, we get the parallax thing going on again in the creepy woods as Mill and the director explain the number of missing people in Nome and the 2000 plus FBI visits and that something is going on. And this is versus the 300 visits to Anchorage, which has 76 times the population of Nome. That's some fucked up numbers. In the end, what you believe is yours to decide. In the end, what you believe is yours to decide. We then get a where are they now type pre-credits thing. And it says, Dr. Abel still practices psychology in Alaska and refused to participate in the film. The doctor, I just tried to say his name. It's not going to be on the episode because <laughs> it was that bad. But he attained tenure at a prestigious university and assisted with the Sumerian translations for this film, but declined further involvement. He does, however, corroborate with Abby's testimony. Interesting. August retired two years after this and lives in northern Alaska. He rejected any and all involvement with the film. Ronnie is now 22 years old and estranged from his mother. He still blames her for his sister's disappearance. Abby was cleared of all allegations against her. She is now living on the east coast of the U.S. And due to her deteriorating condition, she remains bedridden under constant medical supervision. And she still says that aliens took her and her daughter. Ashley has never been found. Credits. But not just any credits. During these credits, we have calls going through the decades of people reporting UFOs on 911. I don't know if they were made for the movie because there is actual years on there or if they actually took calls because I've heard those on like sightings and shit, right? Yeah. Like I, I think they might be legit. Like I, I, some of them I think I remember hearing on like sightings or unsolved mysteries and shit. Okay. Okay. And it's a nice touch on the credits. And like I said earlier, people either love or hate this movie. I like it. I think it's fun. I can't watch it like all the time over and over again. It is definitely one of those movies that's best the first time you watch it, especially yeah. if you go in blind and think it's real, right? Like they pulled off the Blair Witch temporarily. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a go in blind and watch alone type film. I love what the film tried to do. Yeah. What it pulled off was kind of turd salad, but uh, <laughs> the things that it hits on with the owl with the Sumerians and like even implants all we see is a mark on her and a mark on what's his nuts. And they don't even talk about it. And that's like straight right. up from the, the theory of the alien implants and shit like that. There's so many nuggets in there that they don't hang on and don't dive into because it's all from this angle of the hypnosis and interviews and shit. That angle is amazing to me. Um, I don't think it all came together, but uh, the first time watching the movie by myself in very low resolution, uh, <laughs> it, it was still creepy though. Like it's, it, it does have good creepy factor on that first watch. Right. And, and the use of Nome, Alaska and the hypnosis, I think, was smart. And on the hypnosis part, I thought that was pretty original. I will say the movie is carried by the usage of the real footage and the real audio and stuff like that. But I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean, that was obviously intentional. But that is what elevates the movie from being merely okay to awesome and original to me. 
Yeah, it feels like parallel stories, even though they're telling the same story. It feels like you're getting right. like two different points of view, even though it's going back to the same thing that it's caricaturing or or docudramaing at the same time. It's yeah. a good breakup or else the whole thing would feel stale. Typically what you see is it would just cut in between the two footages, right? Like yeah. you don't get the side-by-sides or the three cells on the screen. You don't get the, the audio and the video cutting over with each other overlapping. Like that was all really neat. So it, it made it creepy and I think it's a fun movie and you should watch it if you hadn't seen it. Yeah. I owned it, so I don't know if it'll stream in somewhere or not. I'm trying to remember where we streamed it somewhere. You can definitely rent it digitally somewhere, but yeah, I will say though that our next film is on Hulu right now, and that is 1993's Fire in the Sky that Josh is going to cover. This film made a lot of people shit their pants. <laughs> like me at the age that I was, and I'm sure you as well, when the trailer came out and shit was like, oh my God. I stayed up late to watch it when it premiered on HBO. Oh, damn. And 93, we were 11, right? Yeah. Maybe 12, because how long it used to take for things to go to TV. I just remember mom asked me what it was, and I said it was supposed to be like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Because <laughs> that's what I got from the previews, and it freaked me the fuck out. I'm just going to say that right now. Totally, man. This was directed by Robert Lieberman, um, who, can't forget, he directed D3, Mighty Ducks. We've talked about that before. Um, <laughs> but he's done a lot of TV, including a few episodes of Dexter, Lost Girl, and Haven. So that's pretty okay. cool. Uh, written by Tracy Torme, who did Star Trek Next Generation, was the creator okay. of Sliders. Like, okay, oh. this is this is why the end of the movie is so good and so different from the rest of the movie. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Is he just the screenplay writer or did he write the book? I think there was a book because this is supposed to be from a true story also, right? Yeah, screenplay. Okay, okay, just screenplay. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, a few of the cast members. We've got uh, D.B. Sweeney as Travis, who did a lot of TV and this shitty figure skating movie called The Cutting Edge, which <laughs> I only know about because one of my brothers made me watch it. And there's this recurring joke in the movie of because in the movie, I can't believe I'm going to talk about this movie. He's a hockey player and ends up okay. becoming a figure skater with this chick. Um, for like a competition. I don't know if it's the Olympics or what. And the difference between figure skater ice skates and ice hockey player ice skates is a thing called a toe pick, which is like a grippy thing mm -hmm. at the front. And so he keeps busting his ass on these figure skating skates. If I remember right, because I was so damn young, like there's a whole montage of him just falling and busting his ass over and over again. She's like doing <laughs> doing spins and shit across the rink going, toe pick. <laughs> That's all I remember about the movie. Anyways... <laughs> Did you know that, um, according to the director, he didn't want to cast D.B. Sweeney at all, and they were days away from shooting, and uh, they still didn't have anybody play Travis, and the CEO of Paramount told him he had to fucking use D.B. Sweeney, or else he wasn't making the movie. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I read. So it, it came from an interview somewhere, or like the behind the scenes or something, so that's crazy. Okay. But he worked out. Great in the movie, in my opinion. So. Um, speaking of behind the scenes, everybody on here knows how much Josh likes getting DVDs and like listening to the commentary to lazily get his notes together. Tried to buy this movie on DVD. Currently going for thirty nine bucks for the generic mm. theatrical release version. Blew my mind. That's not even Blu Ray. That's just DVD. Right. Fucking crazy. Um, but no, I didn't know about that. That's that's fucked up. Um, we've also got Robert Patrick as Mike. Yeah, Mister T one thousand himself. 
who, of course, we've mentioned before, the fucking faculty, lots of shit. Um, <laughs> we've got Henry Thomas as Greg, who I'm only bringing yeah. up because of fucking E.T. <laughs> He's barely in the movie other than just seeing his face <laughs> and being scared. I know, right? And uh, the last person from the cast that I want to bring up is fucking James Garner um, as Waters, the uh, special agent that comes in to investigate everything. He was in like Maverick and all the Maverick movies and oh, yeah. Rockford Files oh, yeah. and all the Rockford Files movies. Like this dude goes back to like fucking forever ago <laughs> of like just just old school like Western and cop drama bullshit. Like this guy was yeah. in all of it. Peter Berg's pretty famous too, who plays David and um, he's a bunch of shit. Yes, more so as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. And then Craig Sheffer, the guy that plays uh, Dallas. I don't remember if that's his first or his last name. Last name. His last name, yeah. So he was in Nightbreed. Yeah, yeah. And most recently, he's Richard Nixon on that shitty American horror story season that just happened. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I'm sure they had him on there because he was in Fire in the Sky. They usually <laughs> like to do shit like that, but just, just interesting. I, I knew you didn't have him on your notes, but I had to bring him up because of that. So off to uh, special makeup effects. Um, nobody really jumped out at me, but everybody that I looked up was in and out of ILM, which brings us to <laughs> <Seems> a lot, <laughs> which brings us to the visual effects, which were done by ILM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this wasn't like a little indie horror movie or something like the fourth kind was this was made to be a big movie yeah yeah they put they didn't go crazy with it but they gave it a surprisingly large budget i'd have to look it up in my head i'm saying 15 million tune in next episode for the number <laughs> this is 93 so this is of course loosely based on travis walton's book about his alleged encounter the walton experience and um which happened uh so the incident happened in 75 the book came out in 78 and uh by 93 ufos were big they were hot shit um so we had regular s- stories starting to come up on unsolved mysteries of course the the yep. uh oh my god what is it Betty and Barry Hill, the the couple with yeah. the, the famous abduction, missing time and all that shit. Um, so everybody knew about that. Sightings had already been on for two years. And 93 is the same year we would end up getting the launch of X-Files. Um, so the world was ready. That's what, what I will say about this <laughs> fucking movie. And uh, I didn't actually see it until sometime in my mid-20s. But I remember okay. being young and the trailer being freaky as fuck. Like, because <laughs> yeah. you got quick shots of the aliens. You got quick shots of him being drugged down the hallway and shit. And it was like, oh, my God. There's like, I know. There, there was, you know, the Aliens franchise. But there was never like the shit people are talking about really right. happening to them, like in your face like this. And it was like living out in the boonies. I didn't have fucking cable, dude. Like you had right. MTV, man. I would just fucking watch reruns of sightings and be scared shitless. <laughs> I do remember seeing the trailer on TV vaguely, but like every comic book from Marvel that I read had like an ad for it. <laughs> and, you know, I was younger, so I didn't get to go to the theaters and, and you know, it was back in the day, like family night watching the movie premiere on HBO that Saturday was big shit. Right. And sometimes it was a family friendly movie and sometimes it wasn't. And I just, I remember being excited for it. And that was big shit for you. And then when my dad would get a copy of the tape from your dad, then it would be big shit for me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's get on to this. So we opened with this truck speeding through the woods at night in 75 in White Mountains, Arizona. And uh, a group of men get out slowly and they walk into this like shithole looking diner. 
And we quickly realized it's small town. Everybody's on a first name basis, like, sorry, boys, kitchen's closed, that kind of shit. And uh, so it's like cheers. Everybody knows everybody. We're sticking to the story. No matter how rough it gets. Understand? So we then see Mike head over to a payphone. <laughs> I can't even tell the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to say the next two, so there's one. And uh, we then immediately cut to who we're going to find out is Lieutenant Frank Waters in his car, getting a call on his radio, just as a fucking UFO lands right in front of him. Wait, it's just a railroad crossing. And uh, <laughs> he's told over the radio that he needs to head to this diner. Details to follow. And uh, we quickly learned that he's the shit when it comes to solving cases. Like the sheriff's telling him, it's like, man, I hear you like fucking, you don't leave shit unsolved. Like you get shit done. Right. That's why I need you here. And uh, <laughs> he does tell, uh, the sheriff does tell him that Travis Walton has gone missing while out on a logging job with the crew. So uh, he does give a rundown of who all was on said crew. In doing so, we learned that Dallas is a drifter who's only been on the crew a few weeks. And of course, immediately he's painted as the bad guy because he's the one right. that, that can almost grow a beard while the rest of the crew can almost grow a mustache. <laughs> so uh, Waters then goes to get the story from the horse's mouth. And Mike is the one of the group that starts to tell the tale and we drift off into the past. And uh, we see Mike waking up with his happy family as Travis is seen heading over on his bike. And by bike, I mean motorcycle. And he's riding all crazy, like blowing through intersections, going down the sidewalk to grab some stolen donuts and shit. <laughs> so Jesse had to say real and actual and air quotes a lot. So that's going to happen to me, too. Um, <laughs> so if you start hearing me say what really happened or actually da, 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 because there's not a lot of behind the scenes of this production, but there is a lot of stuff about what. Travis Walton said really right. happened and how it was portrayed in the movie. So that's what I kind of stuck with for my behind the scenes bullshit in this one. Hell, I even watched him on YouTube last night on the Joe Rogan show, getting interviewed by Joe Rogan and telling the story. Then you already know 90% of what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the guy definitely has a story down pat and stares into space blankly while he tells it. Yeah, that's we'll get into that at the end. I'm 50, 50 on this guy. Anyways. So, Travis doing all this crazy shit riding over to Mike's is supposed to show how much of a free-spirited, adventurous dude Travis is, okay? And we'll get into that Gotcha. Later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That way he doesn't look like so much of a dumbass later? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, back over at Mike's house, Mike's wife Katie reminds him that the bank is still calling while he's on his way out to go to work. So, it's a quick setup to let us know, okay, so he's a logger and they got money troubles. That's going to be important. So Mike's trying to get the crew truck up and running when Travis rolls up and he tells him about his terrible motorcycle shop idea. Empty motors. <laughs> <laughs> what does he say? Their, their prices are so good. Their showroom's mostly empty. <laughs> and he's like, get it empty. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, but once again, this is the, the free spirited dreamer that uh, Travis is. But Mike's more concerned about finishing the logging contract on time. Now, the real story on this is that they were actually double booked and they were working double shifts to try to get two jobs done and that this whole okay. missing person scheme may have been their way out. So anyways, Travis then pops in on one of Mike's daughters that he's banging. No, wait a second. It's Mike's sister. Mike's sister. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you think it was his daughter? Because it's really weird because all you see is the young daughters and then all of a sudden Travis just goes up into this window and starts kissing on, under this blanket. It's like, what the <laughs> is this guy yeah. doing <laughs> okay okay anyways they take off for work and they pick up the rest of the crew and head off to the work site 
So uh, the crew has a fairly uneventful day, save for Dallas falling trees next to Travis's head. And uh, <laughs> and they fuck about a little bit. They almost have a lightsaber duel with chainsaws. They nearly do. It was almost like fucking Hopper and Leatherface. Exactly. So how come you can't make friends with Dallas? Uh, he's just jealous I can do something he can't. Oh, yeah? What's that? Reading, right? So, um... After Travis makes this joke with Mike, Mike does end up telling Travis that he's not ready for him to marry his sister because he's too much of a dreamer and not like <laughs> an out of the country dreamer. Like the fucking dude's not got his shit together. He's living in his head too much. So we fade back to Mike instead of doing cool shit like they did in uh, the fourth kind um, <laughs> and uh, giving his statement and Waters just kind of cuts him off. And he's like, so you finished the day and headed off all five of you. And he's corrected that it was six of them. Travis was still with them at this point. I'm going to correct this some more because the crew was actually mm-hmm. seven and uh, they dumped one from the film because they thought that would be too many people for the audience to keep up with, which is kind of dumb because you don't like you mentioned earlier, the other guys, the only ones you need to worry about is Travis, Mike and Dallas. Everybody else is kind of yeah. incidental in, in the crew. So after hearing, you know, this story with the tree falling near Travis and all this shit, Waters goes over to Dallas and uh, he's like, you know, so you had beef with Travis and he's like, well, you know, we're just fucking around. And he's like, well, what about that cut on your hand? Was that fucking around too? And he's like, oh, I did that the other day. Like, like, you know, Waters is already zeroing in on Dallas and that's how everything's being painted. Yeah. And that's how the story went when this shit really went down was immediately everybody thought that, you know, this, the guy's the drifter. He's the new guy on the crew. He's giving Travis a hard time. You know, maybe this motherfucker murdered him. So uh, then the the sheriff kind of presses the guys to uh, tell them what they saw next. It looked like uh, like a fire. <laughs> so we then jump back to the crew the night of. The crew's leaving the site. It's all dark and shit. So they're driving home, and Dallas is the first one to spot what looks like a fire over the hill. And uh, then it starts to move. And the truck radio starts going all fucking crazy, like has become the shtick in abduction movies and shit. And uh, right. Travis wakes up and gets really fucking curious, like, whoa, what's that? We should go that way. And Mike's like, well, we kind of have to go that way because that's the only fucking road out of here. <laughs> right, right. Once they get right up on whatever this is, Travis yells for Mike to stop and he immediately hops out of the truck. And that's what I was referring to earlier about them trying to explain his dumbass decision later. <laughs> exactly. He's just carefree. <laughs> and uh, once he leaves the truck, he walks right under the Boston album cover. And a shit you not, that's what this fucking mushroom UFO, once you get to the wide shot of, it reminds me of the Boston album cover with the fucking UFO it's on it. It's definitely unique looking. <laughs> it is. The rest of the crew watching this freaks the fuck out. And uh, I don't know. It, it looks kind of lame. For 93, it looks pretty cool, but now it looks kind of lame. What's even more lame is that in Travis Walton's actual story, he says the real UFO was a generic saucer about 20 feet across and eight feet tall. He did say that the bottom of it glowed and it was weird because it wasn't like light. It was this this odd gold engulfing color and that the bottom of the ship seemed to change shape and parts of it blocked light and other parts didn't. But that's not what we got in the film. And I, I do have to say, if it was just a 20 foot wide saucer sitting there with Travis, like, whoa, and be like, this is kind of dumb. <laughs> is this plan nine? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh, the crew then watches this horror as a beam of blue light engulfs Travis and it flings his ass across this clearing where the UFO is. And uh, some of them start screaming that he's dead. Some of them just scream. One of them just cries. And uh, <laughs> Mike's like, fuck it. And he guns it. <laughs> 
And uh, he eventually comes to a stop because it's like he suddenly realized that he just left his best friend. Like, oh, my God, like this shit just happened. And I just bailed. I have no idea what's going on. And they all start to argue about whether or not they're going to go back. And Mike's like, fuck all y'all. If I got to go back on my own, I'll go on my own. Get out of the truck. And Mike heads back alone. And instead of seeing what Mike sees, we go back to the diner present day. They took him. You expect me to believe that a flying saucer came down and took your friend away to outer space. There's some more questioning that goes on, but the rest of the crew basically stands by Mike's story. And uh, Waters pushes crying Greg the hardest. And uh, he says it's true because, you know, he saw that shit when he was a kid for fuck's sake. <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> now, what's interesting is I don't remember which one of the guys... But uh, later on, Travis Walton, I'm talking real shit now, alleged that the CIA tried to pay one of them off to like change his story and all this shit. Like, like there's some weird shit in, in this that I won't go okay. into all of it, but they did. And I don't remember if this is in my notes. They, when all the shit went down, they did get quite a bit of money from uh, the national Enquirer for their story. So the logging contract did kind of end up being irrelevant because everybody got their scratch. So right. it's kind of interesting. At this point, of course, we're still in the diner. Dallas is like, fuck this shit. I've had enough. And uh, the cops are like, yeah, it's getting late. We'll get a search party together in the morning. And as they're leaving, Waters tells the sheriff that it's a murder. (laughs) And he hands him the National Inquisitor fucking tabloid from the the backseat (laughs) of Mike's truck. And the top story on it is Nebraska man kidnapped by aliens. So Waters has got all this shit figured out. Like they're going to fucking murder this guy or something happened. And this is the cover story. I I really like that scene because they're going through that tabloid in the truck at the beginning of the movie while yep. they're going to the job site and making fun of stories. And I guess they had it as evidence. And you see Waters walking around holding it the whole time he's interviewing him. You don't really realize what he's got going. And when the guys leave, he starts talking to the local sheriff, you know, and and he's like, man, do you believe word of that? You know, how could they come up with something that crazy, you think? And and he starts giving his theory. And that's when he opens the magazine and you're like, oh, man, he's he's got him dead to rights right there. That's how they came up with it. They just read it. Yeah. That's how good this guy is, man. He sees through bullshit quickly. I do want to say this is probably the best spot to put it, that this movie does a really good job of making them look guilty as fuck while showing you that it was actually aliens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It shows both sides of the story so good. Well, even even from their own perspective, like when they're walking into the diner and they're like, is that the story we're going to go with? Like, that just sounds guilty right up right out the fucking gate right and there's just a lot to that especially in this scene but throughout the movie and i just thought it was really interesting that they did all the shit to make them look like it was fake as fuck and 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 then still showed him getting abducted by aliens you know no anyways so we follow mike home and uh the story's already on the news and when this shit actually happened within 72 hours the story had actually made it worldwide that's how much ufo fever was already happening in 75 um, so the next day, everybody goes out on the search. They find jack shit. They find some dog bones. That's it. And Travis's brother, Dan shows up and he tells Mike that Dallas has a record and he better fucking find him or it's his ass. Now, Dan was played by <laughs> Scott McDonald. Yes. Jack Frost, the fucking killer snowman. <laughs> Holy shit. That's who's under that beard, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so while we're talking about brothers, it's a good time to bring up why Travis was so eager to walk under that saucer. We're talking real shit now. 
He and his brother were borderline obsessed with UFOs and their mother okay. to a certain extent. And they had an agreement that if they ever saw one, they would get as close as possible. They even talked about trying to get abducted and how could they both get on the ship if they were separated when it happened and get anal probed. Um, okay, that last part's just for me. But in all seriousness, okay. they had a pact that, you know, we if you see one, try to get under it, try to get abducted. Like, they were seriously into this shit. But not in the movie. In the movie, Dan's just like, Dallas killed my fucking brother. <laughs> I'm going to come back as a snowman and fuck him up. <laughs> oh, so with the search of bust and the story spreading, madness engulfs the town. <laughs> and you've got all this press and UFO hunters everywhere. And this guy Jarvis with AFAR, that's the American Foundation for Aerial Research, ends up giving okay. Mike his business card on the street. I thought this was some made up shit for the movie. That is a real fucking organization. I don't know if they're now defunct, but back then they really were. Okay. MUFON wasn't there. That's the one everybody's heard of, even if you're not into UFOs. But Ground Saucer Watch was there as well, which was another one I hadn't heard of before. And they are now defunct. Okay. I know. Just all this, all this UFO news. <laughs> <laughs> so we end up seeing the crew kind of get back together for eats um, at another local watering hole. And this local, I don't know if I got his name in here. I think his name's Buck. He just immediately tries to start some shit. And just as shit's about to go down between the crew and this local guy, the sheriff and waters come in, they break it up and uh, they say they're looking for Dallas and uh, they want the whole crew to take a lie detector test, maybe clear some shit up. <laughs> and waters pulls Mike uh, outside and uh, he wants again, blames Dallas. And he's like, you know, Hey, you got this drifter. Da, 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 da. Like we, we really going to carry on with all this bullshit boys. Like that, that's his whole attitude. <laughs> like he is dead fucking sure that either Travis is like fucking been kidnapped somewhere or fucking killed. And it's got to be Dallas. And that the rest of the crew, for whatever reason is protecting Dallas. And he doesn't understand why they would when he's the new guy. Right. This part's kind of weird. So Mike and Peter head <laughs> off to this Mexican family that Dallas is with. And I don't, it's really weird. Does that seem weird to you? Like, are they, are they trying to imply that he's Mexican or I don't get I it. Think, I think they're trying to imply that he's Hispanic or something. Yeah. Like he talks as country as they do and not as country as we do right. because they're in Arizona. But, uh, that weren't they like gambling or something like playing poker or something? Yes. Uh, it could, he could have just meant, I know where to find him. Cause he likes to play poker in this one spot. Okay. I, I'm okay with this. Or the fact that he's a drifter, he just found this. I'm trying not to be insensitive here, but he found some people that he, he would know wouldn't want to be found that he could live with while he was passing through. <laughs> right. Okay. I had to make sense of that because I, I read and heard other things about it where it's like this whole conspiracy thing and it's dumb. Anyways. <laughs> Dallas is like, fuck you guys. I'm not coming to take a lie detector test. One of these days, y'all are going to get sick of getting all these questions. You're going to fucking roll over on me because I'm the new guy. Fuck you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Mike's just like, be there. Fucking lie detector test. Fucking hottest shit in town. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're now told that Travis has been gone for four days and there's this town meeting being held. And uh, the sheriff says the crews turned down the lie detector offer. And the mob rumblings start to begin. And as the as the whole mob starts talking shit about the crew, Mike walks in and he basically gives a shut the fuck up speech. And he says, <laughs> you know what? We'll take your fucking test. <laughs> and the whole crew shows up. Even Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it, there's there's some intense stuff, and there's some actually some funny stuff <laughs> when it's showing the questioning <laughs> of the different guys. And it's yeah. like, did you really see? I don't know. I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, yes or no, please. Yes or no. <laughs> Do you have a girlfriend? <laughs> you ever jerk off in the shower? <laughs> no, wait, that's an enemy of the state. <laughs> Love that movie. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so. There ends up being a blow up as the guys are leaving because they're like, oh, well, some of it's inconclusive. We want you to do it again. Da, 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 da. And Mike kind of snaps. He's like, fuck this shit. And they bounce. But they're talking about it after the guys leave. And they say they all think they're telling the truth. It's only Dallas that's inconclusive. So it's like, what the fuck? Did these guys really see this shit? Or are they that right. good liars? By the way, <laughs> throughout all this, uh, Mike and Katie are not on the best of terms. Mike has been staying right. at a hotel and shit. And uh, this night he's home and he's like sitting there on the couch with one of his girls and, and the wife walks in. And she's like, so you uh, sleeping here tonight? <laughs> like She doesn't even <laughs> want his ass there. And she keeps hanging up on these prank callers. She's like, no, and hanging up. And she's like, the shit's been going on all night. And uh, Mike's like, let me get the next call. And uh, the next call is an operator saying that she's got a collect call from Travis Walton. And Mike's like, fuck yeah, I'll take the charges. <laughs> now in the uh, quote unquote real story, Travis didn't call Mike. He called his own fucking family, which actually makes a lot more sense than calling his best friend, especially yeah. if your mom and brother are obsessed with aliens. And you're like, dude, guess what just happened to me? <laughs> anyway, ask me about my butt. <laughs> So uh, Mike, his sister, who's dating Travis, Peter, and Travis's brother, Dan, head two towns over to find a nude, disoriented, and severely dehydrated Travis cowering in front of a gas station. True story is he was actually found fully clothed and in a phone booth, but uh, whatever, it's a movie. There's my second one. Look, look, I'm done already. One episode. <laughs> so they don't know what to do. So he's got the business card of Jarvis from afar, and they call him. And he shows up with his little buddy and uh, he says it's very important that they collect Travis's first available bodily function. And that's not said flat out <laughs> in the movie, but like the real story, that's like what the plan was. Like, it doesn't matter what comes out of him. We just need to get the very first thing. So with it being pissed in this case, he's like all up on Travis, who Travis is like, guys, I've seen some shit. And like he's, he's borderline <laughs> catatonic and he's got, you know, a tape recorder in his face and a jar in his face. Like, I need you to pee in this. What did you see? What did you look like? Did they touch you? Did they touch the inside of your butthole, the outside of your butthole? Did they put that thing over your testicles? that made you come like all these things like they don't what? they don't say all that but everything i just said has actually been from uh abduction encounters um like it's a recurring thing of this tube that they that men say has been put over their testicles that makes them immediately have an orgasm dude i didn't have cable all right um anyways <laughs> the real story about the piss collection is even better they drove him all the way to fucking Phoenix, Arizona to give a piss sample to a UFO doctor who ended up to just be a fucking hypnotherapist or some shit. Um, it's all coming together. It is it's man. tying in with the first film. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> in all the chaos that's happening in this little fucking bathroom, a scuffle starts to ensue. Meanwhile, Travis is like looking out the window and he starts to have his first flashback and uh we get like just a few frames like less than what's in the trailer even of what travis thinks he remembers and then it cuts to him right being in a uh hospital and it's basic shit where they're just you know checking him in checking his files da 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 so after he's checked in and examined and all this shit mike kind of sneaks in to tell him how worried they were and uh <laughs> it's kind of fucked up because like 
they kind of go at it about each other. Like, cause Travis is like, you left me there. And he's like, but I came back. And he's like, you left me there. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no man, no, we're all real world. <laughs> cause it's weird, man. I was going to save this for later, but the movie's a fucking drama. It is such yeah. a fucking drama until you get to the, the real fucking flashback thing. We're getting there. Guys. It had been a while since I'd seen the movie and you know, like I kind of like help you pick this movie out. And when I watched it, I had seen it before you had seen it. Cause you were still waiting for your disc to come in. And I was like, I don't know if you want to do this, one, man. It's drama. It's slow. Do you want to swap to dark skies? <laughs> so um, we see Travis then get discharged from the hospital the next day. And this kid sees him on the street and asks for his autograph. And he's like, oh, holy shit. This is kind of neat. And as the kid walks away, he reveals waters. He's like, oh, you're kind of famous now all of a sudden, aren't you, Mr. Walton? And uh, gives him all kinds of shit. And uh, he says, you know, the doctor says you look to have been without food and water the whole time you were gone. That's complete BS. The real story, his exam revealed he had been eating and drinking for the five days, which is kind of a huge red flag in this whole story. Unless you're a full on alien believer. You're like, well, yeah, they had to keep him alive while they played with his butt. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) I did not screen Josh's script. (laughs) I don't. Anyways, but (laughs) (laughs) so Travis is then taken to the most poorly thought out setting, a surprise welcome home party. This guy's PTSD the fuck out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Totally ambushed by friendly, friendly, Jesus, by family and friends. And uh, he starts to freak out, starts to have more flashbacks. And, uh. Oh my God. What's the girlfriend's name? I don't remember. Mike's sister ends up finding Travis <laughs> cowering under the kitchen table. And like, this is where everything changes. Cause like the music's kind of comical through the whole movie, but it fits here. And like the shaky camera, yeah. like everything feels real intense here. I love this shot. Um, Cause as he's shaking under the table, this bottle of maple syrup falls. <laughs> it sounds so dumb to say, but it's really good. This bottle of maple syrup falls over the maple syrups, like cruising across the table. And she's like, what's wrong, Travis? Yeah. What's wrong, yeah. Travis? And he's like, <laughs> down in the corner and shit. And so the maple syrup, and we keep cutting back and forth. The maple syrup's going, it's like, there's Travis freaking out. There's her. And it's like, <laughs> and the maple syrup finally falls They should have done that split screen thing with the shit moving. <laughs> It hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> but once the syrup finally makes it to the edge of the table and hits Travis in the face, it's like, bam, we're going to go back and find out what happened. We're now an hour and 20 minutes into a movie with an hour and 44 minute runtime. And it's about to get awesome. Fucking finally it's going to feel so different. It's going <laughs> to feel like a flashback story in the fucking X files is what it's going to feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that shit's good, man. So we see Travis wake up in this gooey membrane covered pod of sorts. Do you think that the Wachowskis were influenced for the matrix from this? 100%. I think you take fire in the sky, all the anime they were into and HR Giger and boom, there's the matrix world. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I saw that, because I, before the podcast, I hadn't seen this movie since the nineties, uh, pre matrix. And I was like, Oh my God, this is just like when Neo wakes up. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. So, uh, he managed to rip open his gooey pod and he starts to drift out. And we just see that it's one of many gooey pods. (laughs) And uh, he's floating away, but it's cool because he's got some kind of intestinal bungee cord to hold on to. I don't know why it's there. It's not attached to him, but it does look like a piece of intestines. That's like this intestine bungee cord he's got. And uh, as he pulls on it, 
it snaps him back towards the pods and he crashes into another one and like his hands and like all the way up to his elbows goes into the torso of a fucking corpse that starts to drift yeah. up in, in zero G. And it's like, remember the drama I was just describing? Like we just took <laughs> a hard fucking turn of what kind of movie this is. And that's why this movie's so good is to get to this part. So uh, he manages to get out of the corpse and he starts pulling his way up all these pods because it's like a round tube that all the walls are pods and he's going up and he gets up to the top of this pod shaft. And just as he gets up there, he notices his fucking keychain with fucking snowflake on it floating away from him. Like, Oh shit, that's mine. And he's going for it. And it kind of goes up over the top of the pod thing and down into this room and falls through the floor. And this room that he's in where it falls through the floor, he's fucking surrounded by your stereotypical gray aliens. And he starts to look at them and they're just suits and they're like attached mm-hmm. to these things. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. So the stereotypical gray alien that everybody sees is just something in suits. And that, that's been theorized even before the Walton story. Right. And uh, he starts looking at one of the suits a bit closer. One of the other suits starts to fucking creep up behind him and reaches out for him. Yep. And he turns around, and he kicks it in the head. <laughs> <laughs> so the helmet goes flying off and uh, reveals this old man, cancer patient, burn victim looking alien. <laughs> <laughs> like we saw in the flashback from earlier. And uh, <laughs> so Travis immediately takes off through this hole in the wall, which is just weird. And he doesn't make it very far before we see him quickly grabbed and just dragged off down this hallway by the aliens. And this hallway is filled with human personal items, like presumably from other abductees, but like shoes and keychains and like that one killer shot of him flying by and the glass is just spinning. Like, I love that. Like yeah. I could have sworn that was in the original trailer and I went back and watched a bunch of trailers this morning and it wasn't, it had to have been later okay. on that they used that shot. Cause that's all I can think of when I think of the trailer, but love that shot. Like best shot in the whole fucking movie to me. All the zero G stuff is great in this movie. I don't know how they did it. Yeah. I want to know how they did it. It was done really well. Anyways, <laughs> So they throw him up on this exam table, they rip his clothes off, and one of them really looks like it's about to blow him. And uh, But no, they uh, they spread this. It does, man. It's like crawling up the table with his face over his crotch, man. Anyways. <laughs> I did not catch that. They stretch this like rubber membrane sheet over him. Yeah. Like vacuum seals on him, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keep your food as fresh as Travis Walton. <laughs> This is the scene that freaked 12-year-old Jesse the fuck out. Yes, this is fucking terrifying. And uh, D.B. Sweeney's fucking awesome because they cover up his whole body first. So it's just his head. And he's just repeatedly, ah, ah, ah. And like, it's repetitive to where like it seems generic, but there's this sense of terror that like, Mm -hmm. I have no idea what else to do. Words are pointless right now. It, It feels so real. And uh, they're like, fuck this. And they put one of them over his head, too. Um, (laughs) And he's still fucking screaming through it and shit. And they cut his mouth open. And they cut his right eye open so he can see out his right eye. And he can at least breathe until they shove this tube down his fucking throat. Well, they put the goo in his mouth first and then shove the tube down his throat. They put uh, that goo in somebody's mouth. (laughs) That looks like some shit you find stuck to the side of a boat at a nasty-ass, like, river port. (laughs) I mean, it looked like it was a straight fucking petroleum jelly that was colored that they were shoving in a human being's mouth. It's grody, man. And uh, (laughs) so with the shit shoved down his throat, they jam something in his neck and they clockwork orange his good eye. (laughs) And so his (laughs) his eye starts to fill with goo and this torture device descends from above. And it's like the total generic 
I'm going to be abducted. This thing can do everything coming down from the ceiling torture device. <laughs> and it connects to the thing on his neck and this needle starts to extend into his eye. And then Travis wakes up and we see that he's at a shrink's office with his brother, his mother and his girlfriend. Oh, and the cops. <laughs> And this is as close as the movie gets to telling that Travis didn't remember this shit till under hypnosis, which okay. like a lot of abduction stories is like, well, how much of this shit did you really remember? And how much of this shit did somebody tell you you remembered? But regardless, at this point, Waters has had enough. Like I got other places I could be fucking hunting seasons coming up soon. Fuck this town. <laughs> And uh, he tells the sheriff on his way out, he's like, you know, these boys just made up all this garbage. And one of these days, one of them's going to slip up. And when that happens, I'll be back. We then cut to two and a half years later. And Travis has got one little kid and he's got another one on the way with his pregnant wife. And he drives out to this cabin in the woods to find Hermit Mike. And uh, like full on, like he's got a beard now and he don't know nothing about nothing. And he's like having to tell him like, you know, you're about to be an uncle again. And he's like, again, he's like, dude, how fucking far out are you, man? Fucking your first nephew is fucking <laughs> two and a half. And, um, <laughs> they hop in Travis's truck. It's not a truck it's a station wagon, shagging wagon. And they head back to the spot. And Travis tells Mike, you know, you should really come back to town. Like the whole scene's really fucking weird. And Mike says that, uh, he'd like to leave before they come back. Oh, they won't be back. I don't think they like me. <laughs> and so they're just sitting there. Station wagon starts driving away. And we pull out. And we get a crawl that reads, this is the short, short version. Mike got divorced. Travis and Dana are still together. Hey, there's her name. <laughs> <laughs> and in 93, the entire crew took another lie detector test. And this time they all passed. Yes, even Dallas. Maybe I should have condensed my where they are now story. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the end of the movie. And as far as the film itself goes, it scared the shit out of me when I saw the trailer when I was little. I was I was too high to really be scared when I watched it in my 20s. Um, but watching it more recently and thinking back to how much shit we were into back then with UFOs and fucking watching sightings and all that shit, like this was the most terrifying real world alien abduction story to hit fucking theaters. I think that's what's so creepy about this movie to me is like, you, you got a couple things going on, like the use of the odd music, like you put earlier, right? Like that's not really fitting for the movie and, and the way the movie goes and then how it takes a sharp turn. Like that's very unsettling in its own right, but it's also done in a way that's like very realistic looking, almost like it's a documentary or something, right? Yeah. It's fucked up, man. And I'm glad, I'm glad you noticed the music too. Cause the music almost feels like a fucking happy family Disney adventure movie, like fucking Harry and the Hendersons or some shit. <laughs> Movies used to do that though, like doesn't Poltergeist do that at the beginning, and then like even Critters, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you feel like you're watching a family like farm show, an, an and hour and twenty minutes, Jesse, an hour and twenty goddamn minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, did you find anything interesting about the air quotes real story? Well, I do want to go into. I'm going to tell a very condensed version of what Travis says actually happened that, that night. But before I go into that, I do want to say in watching his interviews and he even says himself, he's like, dude, I'm bad with names. I'm bad with remembering dates. Like usually when people tell a story over decades, they embellish more and more and more and more details right. come out and it gets more and more absurd. 
And Travis Walton has stuck to the same thing for forever. And when you can watch an interview from like the nineties and an interview from like what a year, year and a half ago when he was on Joe Rogan. And it's like, he's just saying the same thing again. Like, yeah, I, I fence it so hard on this because of that. Like either this guy's telling the truth or he's the worst fucking liar ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Fourth kind's either a great movie or a piece of shit, right? Like, there's no in between. But uh, for any UFO nuts out there who know the movie and don't know this shit, which if you're a UFO nut, you know this shit. But anyways, I'm going to say this anyways. So the uh, Travis's actual abduction story. Remember, this was mostly remembered under hypnosis. So take that with 15 tons of salt. Um, he says he never saw the blue beam flight. He just remembered walking under the UFO and waking up in pain on a table surrounded by three of what he described as your stereotypical gray alien. And uh, he did say that their skin was soft and marshmallowy. Um, <laughs> that was literally the verbiage he used. They were very gentle lovers. <laughs> and uh, that he was in so much pain he thought he was dying. And it was just fight or flight. So he shoved one. And one fell over like a bitch and fell into another one. And it fell over like a bitch too. And he's like, holy shit, I can actually fight back. So he hopped up and there's like instruments and shit on this wall. And he grabs this glass rod thing or acrylic rod thing as he describes it. And he's basically just swinging it at him and yelling like back the fuck off. And eventually they all went off down the hallway from the doorway coming out of this room. And he went into the doorway and went the other way down the hallway. And this hallway led to a large room with a chair in the middle of it. And as he approached the chair, he saw that it had controls and shit on it. And that when he looked up, it basically looked like star charts, like being in a planetarium. And he sat down in the chair, started fiddling with the quote unquote controls. And when he moved them, the stars in the room moved. So he didn't, he described it as not knowing if he was flying a ship or if it was just a charting and navigation type room. And, uh, so he gets done fucking with that because uh, the greys come back in and this time they brought a Nordic with them. And for anybody who doesn't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So greys are your typical gray, big eyed, slit mouth, holes for nose, totally generic alien. Right. Um, the Nordics showed up in stories later on and they're almost human. They're usually described as very soft features, tall, attractive, usually described as having long blonde hair, but, um, okay. very human, uh, in form. Then you've got the reptilians, which are the evil fuckers that run the country and the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> And then, then you've got, like the, I said, everyone, I did not screen his <laughs> notes before this episode. And then you've got the little stubby underling, more goblin type ones, which came up in stories later. So anyways, <laughs> the gray show up and they got a Nordic with them and the Nordic's got a fishbowl helmet on. And, uh, this is what Travis has said and hasn't changed his story. And the Nordic led him out of that room and he was in a hangar and there's gravity. And there was all these other saucers, like the one he had seen when he was in the truck in this hangar. So it's like, where the fuck was he actually taken during all of this? And, uh, another Nordic shows up this time, a female. And all they ever did was kind of gently smile. They never said anything. Everything was conveyed, not in actual words through, uh, telepathy, but kind of just a guiding sense. And they put what, what he described as a gas mask type thing on him. And he tried to fight it, but he couldn't fight it. And it made him black out. And he woke up back on earth in the middle of the road. And okay. that's basically what he described as his encounter versus the 15 minute towards the end of the movie thing. 
Um, no clue how much of that he put in his actual book. I'm pulling all this from interviews. And the nerd in me wants that version to be in the movie. The film lover in me. It would have been poor. Ex- yeah, yeah. The, the film lover in me absolutely agrees with what you just said. And you tell me that story makes me not believe them. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I kicked all their asses and then I flew their fucking spaceship and then they sent the hot ones in and they totally loved me and they let me go. Exactly. That's what you just said. So uh, he says he's been trying to get a remake of the movie done that tells more of what actually happened. Um, I think if it was done right, it could be fun as shit. Um, cause it's still yeah. going to get Hollywoodized, but, uh, very interesting story, um, to turn into a movie, uh, regardless. And once again, just really creepy, especially in that time, man, fucking 93, too young to really mm-hmm. understand how creepy it was going to be. Um, older understanding how creepy it really was. And the fourth kind being one of those of told in the this is real found footage style of all these stories that we've heard without bashing you over the head with it and just putting in all the subtle nuggets in there and telling a story at the same time about a fucking woman losing her husband and her daughter yeah the found footage scenes in that movie they're just subtle enough to make them believable yeah even like the the hanging jaw and the the dude levitate and they're just like they don't overdo it it's not crazy looking like dude levitating was probably old houdini tricks or something right like they probably didn't even do anything fancy just creepy enough and uh i think they we don't try to pair the movies or do one against the other we've never done that we just stick with our category format and this is how it goes but i think these stick really well together and the time between them telling the same kind of a story in a completely different way is yeah. uh, made it pretty fun to uh, go over these and give our opinions on them. And it was interesting, the hypnotherapy popping back up again, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. So. That's common with all, all, all these. I mean, when what I remembered when I got abducted, no. No, I keep telling you, that was police and we were in Tijuana. <laughs> El Burro. <laughs> <laughs> But that's it for our alien abduction episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we finally cover the Jaws series. You're going to need a bigger boat. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbspodcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. I have to believe in what we're doing.